Hello, and welcome to It's in the Experience, an original podcast from the Association for Experiential Education. I'm Sherry Bagley, the Executive Director of AEE and the host of this podcast. We have some great guests today for this episode, here to discuss their career paths and how they are making spaces for experiential education in new ways. Coming to us from Utah, Stephanie Spiker is an associate professor and the digital fluency faculty in residence at Weber State University, specializing in digital pedagogy, curriculum design, and the creation of authentic learning communities. As a champion and practitioner of human-centered learning, she has presented at international conferences and numerous colleges and universities around the world. Focusing on implementing classroom learning communities and human-centered pedagogy into experiential education mythology, Stephanie assists educators across disciplines to enhance their teaching, leadership, and relationship skills. Recently awarded the Presidential Teaching Excellent Award at her university, Stephanie enables others to share their wisdom and ideas in an environment that thrives on collaborative thought, effort, and action. Learn from Stephanie in her latest ebook, Create a Syllabus Your Students Will Read, and her podcast, Creating Belonging in Diverse Classrooms. Stephanie just recently finished her term on the AEE Board of Directors. And from around the globe in Germany, Antonio Gavan is a visionary, entrepreneur, and human development consultant and trainer. He is a founding partner for Gallica, where he specializes in leadership, business strategy, and team development and has worked in 15 countries for more than 150 organizations. Since 2014, he has been a trustee of United World Colleges Costa Rica and is co-founder and past president of Wikonomics, an organization that aims to expand experiential learning in Latin America. His professional experience includes working in the financial sector, as a lecturer at different universities, as well as being an international entrepreneur. He is a volunteer and advisor at several NGOs that deal with youth at risk, gender violence, and physically impaired people. He holds a finance undergraduate degree, a master's in business economics with a specialization in behavioral economics, and is currently a PhD student in organizational transformation at Holt International Business School, Ashridge. Antonio is a faithful promoter of experiential learning as a way to create a better world and has served on the board of directors of AEE. Welcome, Antonio and Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. Good. It's great to have you both, and thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. And Antonio, I know in Germany, it's getting later in the evening, so I hope you've had your dinner and gotten the kids to bed and all that. Oh, I did that, yeah. It happened. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're listening, but. (laughs) (laughs) We like to start the show with a a little bit of commonalities. It's a game we often play as facilitators, and we've started playing it here just to find out some of the things that we have in common, not just professionally, but maybe personally, too. So Mm -hmm. I know I gave you one at the beginning that you've both been on the board of directors for AE, but other commonalities you might have. Hmm. I, I love the outdoors. I really love the outdoors. I really lo- love spending time on the mountains, lakes. I love lakes. Lakes are, they have this special attraction for me that I just see a lake and I just want to go there and get in the lake and swim. And so. That is exactly my thing. Oh, wow. We're going to be meant to be on this podcast together. 
In fact, I was just at a, an Adobe conference where we had made bags using Adobe's new AI tools. And I actually created my dream vision. It was like my vision board. It was my lake, the lake that I'm going to live on when I, in my future, whatever. So I am with you. I would say that we definitely have that in common, love of outdoors and especially lake life. I love to also spend time in the kitchen. I love to cook. I love to bake. I love to nourish, I think, folks in that way. And I'm finding more and more that's where I enjoy time there. Wow. I like to be nourished. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. But yeah, I like barbecuing a lot. I like cooking too, but I I cannot say I'm, I'm good at that. But I definitely love barbecuing and hosting people for a nice lunch or dinner. I, I definitely love that. And you said something that's very interesting. I just think that preparing food for other people has a very special component. I mean, it's like caring for other people. It's giving a lot of yourself to others. So I find that really interesting and nourishing, as you said. It is. What happens when we are feeling nourished and then the conversations or the connections that can happen in the midst of that? Say that from your bio, you are into into technology, right? So you're a, a techie person. Right? Yes. And I would never have thought that would have been the case. Even as I think back to so many years ago where it was like my mom that was like, you got to start texting me. I'm like, oh, I'm not going in. I'm not going in. I'm still a holdout. No Apple phone or Apple watch. I have a phone. What am I saying? But yes, it has been interesting. And my love for being in those spaces and how we can use technology to enhance and amplify our work, our voice, and the communities that we're trying to create. That's really what I'm finding. And it's just, it's been really exciting. Yeah, I also like to explore new technologies, especially the ones that can help us create these spaces for connecting with others or making interaction easier or transmitting information in more effective ways. So I I like that a lot. I agree. And that's it. I'm not an expert. And that's what I say, even as I'm this, the digital fluency faculty in residence, but it's really about how am I helping us all feel like we can learn together? Because it's a really vulnerable space because it changes so fast. It's everything is just changing so quickly, but it's still as humans, we need to connect and we'll start to get into that, Sherry. But it's been an interesting journey because even as we're thinking about my roots in experiential ed are... I was a project marge instructor at Towson University in Baltimore. It was like my first time out in the woods and in the Shenandoah Valley and then found myself in Outward Bound. Really, when I joke about being a holdout on technology, it is really interesting then how my path has led me to this place and still where my roots are. I know one other commonality that you have, just because I know each of you individually, you both have two daughters. Oh, how old are yours? Yeah. They're 11 and 7. Oh, okay. Great. So mine are three years apart as well. They're 19 and 16. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You're already far, yeah, beyond. Different, oh, a different phase. I'll to ask you for some. <laughs> I don't know. My 16-year-old my just got her license. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Teenager advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not quite there yet, Antonio. You you got a few more years. That I'm slowly going there. Like the comments that my 11-year-old starts making or things she starts asking. Oh, okay. I think we're going to start seeing a big change. Yeah. (laughs) And I was going to say too, I think that your children 
keep you relevant in the digital age also like yes. there that I would never know about except my kids teach me how to do things on my phone <laughs> or tell me what's happening and I'm like oh great I'm like what am I going to do when they move out like <laughs> but I have to keep calling them and find out what it is what the new thing is so it's true my 16 year old actually just completed an experience project that was the title for her world history class and they could do a variety of different things she chose to make two recipes from the Mesopotamian era and so she made cooking show videos. And she did the whole thing on her phone from recording, having a little selfie stick, but then all of the editing with fades and graphics and text. And I was like, Mars, can't believe you're doing all that on your phone. She's like, yeah, mom, this, it's super easy. I was like, oh my goodness. So I'm like, give me the biggest screen you got. And the corresponding YouTube video to help me do it. <laughs> so it is an interesting time. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, when we were still deep into the pandemic, my older daughter, she said, okay, she wanted to gather the family to share her birthday wish list. So she gathered us through Zoom, right? I didn't think she could use Zoom, but she could. And then she showed this very nicely done presentation, which had this kind of special effects. And I don't know where she did it, but she showed us what she wanted for her birthday with all these effects and fade in, fade out and sound effects. And I was like, wow. And then a video of herself like saying, yeah, this is something that I would really love to have. And so then I was like, wow, how do you do that? I would have paid, I don't know, thousands of dollars for someone to do that for me. It's a company video or something. So yeah, I get what you say, what you mean. Yeah. I love that. I love that. A little, a little uh, bit about our work now and our work in experiential education. Antonio, what is the focus of your work right now? We're focusing a lot on experiential training and development for organizations. That's what our main focus is. So we are designing and delivering programs for all sorts of organizations from nonprofits, big companies, small companies, medium-sized companies, entrepreneurs as well. So we're focusing on how can we understand the reality of these organizations or, or these people better and then translate that into experiences that they can learn from. That's our main focus right now. And Steph, how about you? What are you focusing on? Right now, primarily in my work, I'm focusing on how are we able to create community and a sense of belonging in a digital landscape and really rethinking how we're designing instruction, putting authenticity first. And I think that's just because I'm doing so much as faculty are learning how to teach online and still we're having conversations about relevancy in higher ed and why students are going to be coming to college and what our students are saying they need and they're coming because they want to be part of a learning community. They want to be in a group that are having shared experiences that are helping them make sense of the content, solve problems, be creative. So that's really my focus right now and is helping support faculty create assignments where that happens. Steph, are you still, do you still have classes and university students or is it mainly, you're mainly working with the faculty? It's about half and half right now. So I'm still teaching our teacher education department and I teach classes specifically focused on instructional design and assessment. And then I'm also serving as the digital fluency faculty and residents. Gotcha. 
That, I think that's interesting and, and another commonality you two have, but that you're both working with adults because I think that's often a group within experiential education that doesn't get as much, I don't want to say like promotion, but you don't hear about adults using experiential education as much as you do about high school students or middle school students going on team building field trips and things like that. So I think that's a, a an interesting area that I'd love for you to talk more about. That's, yeah, that's an interesting question because the way I came into experiential ed was while I was at high school at my university where we had some leadership development programs and I came in contact with experiential ed. At that time, I didn't know it was called experiential education. It was just a program that they offered us. But yeah, actually, this is where AE comes into my life because when I quit my professional path, I was on the way to become a financial advisor. I always envisioned myself working for a big bank or something like that. And at, that, at some point I decided that's not for me. Didn't want to work that corporate life. I saw that being in, in touch with people and having something to do with a human connection was way more important to me. And I saw that was more important for the result of the organizations that I was working at at the moment. So I quit my job, I quit my path, and then I didn't know what I was going to do. And that's when I came to an AE conference. I think it was back in 2000 and seven, something like that, 2006, 2007. And I met very interesting people there at a Mid-South Regional Conference. I met Sherry Lindell. Maybe you remember her. She was a longtime member of AE, and she was working at the time with big organizations in the United States. So she led this very interesting workshop, and she was explaining how she was helping adults <laughs> learn how to communicate better, how to engage better with each other, how to be more empathetic and so on. And we were like, wow. I was, I was just flabbergasted when I was listening to her and came back to Mexico. And that's, we said, this can be a professional path. We can do this professionally. And so we continued on that path. And so here I am. And I never explored really going with, with children or, or adolescents, but yeah, that was the entry point. And I think for me, just due to my work, I'm between all these populations because I'm teaching teachers how to teach kids. And then my and and my entryway into experiential ed was an outdoor learning center where schools would bring students on field trips. This was a place called Genesee Valley in Maryland. But I think now to answer your question, Sherry, I'm finding and I'm mindful saying this I, because I know COVID is still around, but I do say post-COVID because it's a time mark for me. It was, I think about where we are and just how our lives have just significantly changed and shifted in the, and the needs that I'm seeing adults need and what is happening in our workplaces that experiential ed and the work that we do to provide learning opportunities that are relevant, that helps people make connections and that are dependent on people working together to do this work, we need it more than ever because yeah. I'm not, I, I'm finding like myself too, I get fatigued easier in social situations. It's easier for me to say, I'm going to jump on a Zoom or do I have to really go to that or those kinds of things. And so in a higher ed and in, in a learning environment, faculty need it. We need it as adults. And I think that's why I'm just finding this is really resonating with me right now. 
And I could see Antonio was shaking his head. I know folks out in our podcast land can necessarily see that, but we're all like, yes. And I hope all of you are like shaking your heads. Yes. Uh, exactly. We understand. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely agree with you. I, I've been saying it with my girls. I've seen how they've been developing, growing up. And, and I see how easy for them it is just to engage with others. It doesn't matter where they're from, their culture, nationality, thought. They just play. They just engage. They just like being together and exploring what do you like, what don't you like, and so on. And yeah, I see the same in the corporate world. I see so much polarization and people who feel disconnected, not only to their work, but to each other. And, and so I think experiential education is a great way to start changing that, to start bringing us back to our human nature, our human essence, and, and also help us learn at the same time how to maintain that. Antonio, how are you creating those spaces for experiential education? We touched on this at our pre-show meeting about how these spaces can look different, especially now in the digital age, but it's not just sitting around a table and talking about what's happening and what's going on and what we're going to do next. It's we're creating these different spaces. What kind of spaces are you creating? Yeah, I think the beauty of experiential education is that you can create something anywhere. You can basically do an experiential learning experience just anywhere. I think going a little bit uh, a step behind your question, I think for us, it's very important to observe, observe what's the reality of whoever we're going to be working with. If it's a person or organization, whatever. And then from there, we like to pick what kind of environment could be uh, an ideal like a stage for for these people to experience in a different setting what they're going through every day. So it can be just outside, just in the park or just outside of their office or, but it can be on a Zoom call. There are some amazing things you can do on a Zoom call. Actually, I'm going to share a very interesting organization later when we talk about resources. But they've been doing amazing things in the virtual world. And um, it's it's amazing what you can do now. And yeah, sometimes just uh, using complicated uh, settings. I don't know, maybe how they call the like ropes courses or just going to the outdoors and doing something outdoors. So basically, I, I would say anywhere. We can create an experiential setting just anywhere. And so I love that idea of you talking to the client first and figuring out where it is you're going to go and what you're going to do. Because so many times we have this space, right? We have the ropes course and people come to us and, okay, we're going to do the ropes course because that's where we're at. But I love that your company can tailor it specifically to the client. I think that's a really important piece. That's awesome. And I bet you're finding new places in Germany to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's incredible. You'll find lots of natural spaces here. Yeah. I was just going to say, as you were saying, the it's we, we create that experience. And in my head, I was going, yes, that is our work in experiential ed, regardless of where we are or what our particular role is. If you're engaged in experiential education, that's part of our craft is how do we take, as you said, the essence and the philosophy and the pedagogy of all of it and create these spaces. And when COVID happened, all of a sudden, the way that I was engaging with students and the people that I was working with that I've been doing for 20 years was no longer, what do you mean we can't hold hands in a circle? What do you mean? What do you mean I got to stand like 30 feet apart? <laughs> you know? And how do I take that and still create 
really powerful learning experiences online. And so as you ask that question, Cherry, it's, and, and to Antonio's point is that we create those experiences by bringing the intentional design, wanting to make it specific to the people that we're working with and relevant. So whatever we're teaching can be applied in future situations and contexts. We want people to be able to connect. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about how many times I was like in a Zoom situation or with all the online tools that are available to us that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm having an outward bound moment. <laughs> we're crying. Or So I think it, it can be so much on how we choose to, of where we want to create that. And I've also lately been um, exploring over the last few years doing urban expeditions. So again, really shaking for many of us that maybe potentially come to experiential ed, especially in the United States, we often come from this outdoor adventure, sometimes uh, adventure background, and we know it can look and feel and be in so many different places. And it's wonderful. Just maybe want to share something because as you were speaking, I, I remember an engagement we had with a client and we just decided that we were going to go on a bicycle ride around the town. And what surprised me was that after the ride, we came back, we were discussing about what they had experienced, what they had seen. And it was amazing that they were saying, we just realized that just by not driving and actually either walking or going with a bike, we saw so many shops and so many options that we had never seen before. So now, I, I, as I was passing, I saw, oh, I, I was looking something like that. And it's a small shop that if I hadn't seen it, I would have gone maybe to the bigger shop or to Walmart or something like that. But how even things like this can revitalize communities? These experiences can make you see things in such a different way that it can literally transform realities for many people. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of experiential education. And those who can actually put this intentionality into what they do professionally here, to me, that's a great art. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So many people mm -hmm. can, yeah. I just put a plug in for that. For those of us that are teaching, I'm so passionate about that and that this is not, it is an art. It is something that not everybody can go out. I was just engaged in a conversation with somebody that was talking about how hard is it is to take kids outside. I'm like, oh, don't. You're not even going there with me. <laughs> but you're right. And, and when we take time to notice and be present and connect, just love so much of what you just said, Antonio. Thank you. So... You're in different places in the world. And so now you've had the pleasure of being in Latin America and Mexico and now in Germany. Steph, you've been all over the United States <laughs> in several different environments. What do you think are some of the differences geographically with experiential education? That's another very interesting question. I do believe there are differences. For example, in Mexico, it's very easy for people to be what sometimes we refer to as touchy-feely. People don't really uh, have any problem getting close to each other, even like asking for permission to rub your back or something. It's something you wouldn't do. It's very easy to engage people in that sense. But on the other hand, maybe experiential ed, you really have to make sure that people are, are actually reflecting upon what you wanted them to reflect upon, right? Not think the way you think, but actually going in the direction that the program was intended to go because people do not tend to give lots of, of feedback or to challenge the facilitator at the time. And, and I think that has to do a lot with, with culture. So yeah. I also think that in, in Latin America and Mexico, Latin America, uh, experiential ed is very influenced by our culture. 
exponentially. It's something we've been doing for millennia in the cultures in, in, in Latin America. But, but yeah, that's very specific to, to the area. Versus, so for example, in Germany, Germany, it's different in the sense that you definitely have to convince people to, to touch each other. It's not easy for people to get close to each other. Even when you explain and you do all the warming up and so on, it's not easy because culture is a little bit more reserved. Yeah, so it's not easy that people get that close. On the other hand, people will more directly get into challenging and giving that candid feedback and speaking their minds at the moment. Yeah, so that makes the facilitator realize, okay, if this is going the right way or not, if people are actually getting what they're supposed to or not, or if I need to adapt or not. So I think that experiential education around the world reflects or, or hinges a lot on the culture of, of the place. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's something that is important to consider, especially for people who want to do this internationally. You really need to consider how people interact there. I met people from a very interesting organization in Denmark called Chaos Pilot or Chaos Pilot. That's how they... They say it. And, and so they base, you say that these Scandinavian countries, Denmark, they are very design oriented. And so everything is around design there. Most of the experiential programs there are also revolving around design, how to design things or experiences. And so it's interesting how different uh, countries uh, incorporate elements of their culture into experiential programs. And I think that's very beautiful. You know, mm. It's a way also to learn about the other places and people. Yeah, definitely. Also challenging as a facilitator, yeah. even here when we have groups from different cultures, making sure we're honoring that culture and not forcing them to do things that feel uncomfortable for them. Or a norm that we feel is necessary. Yeah, yeah. Something that we feel is important might not necessarily be in, a, in another place or space. Yeah. Definitely. Steph, have you seen differences in the different areas of the states that you've facilitated in and worked in? When you first asked the question, Cherry, the, what came to my mind was access, diversity, inclusivity, and access to experiential education. Mm-hmm. And when I think about across the United States, be it urban or rural areas, it just it often depends if you're in a place that finds experiential education, that it is of value. And I'm just going to use an example of of an area right near me where I live currently, a school district that is bound and determined on skill and drill because these kids need to learn how to read. These kids need math. Science has been taken out of the curriculum. The arts have been taken out of the curriculum. There's this particular school district is so afraid because kids are behind we don't, we're not going to talk about that after COVID and what that means. But you can go down a school district maybe an hour from me, and those kids are going on a backpacking trip because every eighth grader is going to the environmental ed center because they find that a value. And often, there's a lot of variables of why this happens, but it we make a lot of assumptions that are not found on research or, or data or what we know is to be true about what kids need. Right. And kids that have access to innovative and creative programming like experiential ed, whatever that might look like from the traditional going out to the environmental ed center to having really powerful place based learning experiences or really exciting science experiments happening in the classroom. Right. All these different things. And I know that could be a podcast in itself, but I do think 
I would say that's one of, that's like where my heart went and what I was thinking about what you said in terms yeah. of those differences. Yeah. So I just, that's where I am on that. Go ahead, Antonio, jump in. No, I was just going to say that I, I really admire what you do because I think what you're saying is just, it, it, it's right. It's, yeah, I, I'm not an expert right in education, but I, I do believe that you know, the world needs this kind of education. Children need that kind of education, that they need to be able to explore, to experiment more, to and to connect it to real life. And more than real life, real needs, real challenges. Yeah, how can we solve our challenges for the greater good of humanity? Yes. So if people like you are able to awaken this curiosity in children to want to learn and want to connect and want to develop something that is beneficial for others. I think that's a very admirable yeah, endeavor. So, And then they end up to be the adults in these companies and organizations exactly. that yes. make some huge decisions for us as a glo on a global yeah. scale. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard for me to wrap my head around that we have such a hard time as a culture, especially here in the United States, I'll just say, investing in our greatest asset, which is our children. And providing meaningful, tangible, and like you said, real world experiences. And and that's even for, I think, based on the companies in which folks work in and that companies value that. Yeah, I, I just remember that a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with a colleague of mine. And we were discussing exactly this. If all of this started in, in early childhood, we wouldn't have to deal with this situation right now with adults. Yeah. So at some point, we're so excited say, yeah, let's maybe go into education and just drop this. But then we say, oh, so it's a little late. We have bills to pay and we have books and so on. So, but we were, yeah, we agree or we agreed with what you're saying. If we really want to see that change, I think that's the where all uh, needs to originate. Steph, do you have a, a story of an aha moment that one of your students or participants had that was a good example of how they're going to take something into the real world or something you awaken something in them? Oh, man. As I was thinking about that, it's there's these bigger moments or when you have a, a group of people or a particular class, but I'd like to share a story of just recent, like in over the last year. So and this is part of what's exciting about doing this podcast is I'm actually in the midst right now of I have students create their own podcast as an assignment for one of my classes. And it's a Seeking Solutions podcast. So they have to interview a master teacher and somebody that has years of experience about an issue that's happening in the world of education in a solution because we get so wrapped up in talking about the negative. So I wanted to try and be part of the narrative of Seeking Solutions. So Sometimes it feels like it's just we're going through the motions. And I've really been thinking, like, well, how do I provide tangible, what we've been saying, real world experiences for students to do this work? So I'm not just like assigning them something to do or I, I do a lot of work online. Respond to two other people because I'm making you do it in Canvas. <laughs> so I have a student create a podcast and then they have to reflect on it. This particular student chose to interview he, and this was a teacher in his 50s. He'd been teaching 20-some years. He chose to find his teacher that inspired him to do in this podcast. And he said he went into it. He was, oh, I've got to do this assignment. I'm excited, but I'm also like, uh, you know, it's an assignment for this class, and I've got to get it done. And he talked about the transformative. It was, Antonio, what did you say? Transformative um, 
transforming realities is what you said, Antonio. I love that because that's what we do. And so when I think about this aha moment, it's transforming this reality for the students. So he interviewed his master teacher who he didn't realize was dying of cancer. And so he had this incredible transformative moment where he was brought back to his experience as a student, why he felt this way about the teacher, how they were talking about the education in the future, as well as in the past tense, in the present tense, and how he felt himself then as a teacher, also as a student in this moment, in this really powerful podcast. The podcast got emotional. They were both crying in the podcast. And by the time he submitted it and finished it, this teacher had passed away. And it was such a moment for me because as he talked about it, he said, Steph, doing this assignment was so transformative for me because I went into it thinking I was checking a box. I had to do this assignment. But then I realized the power of the experience of sharing stories and then of utilizing this technology that's out there to allow us to then spread the power of what we're doing. And he wants to do this work with his students, right? So for me, it was like, wow, you talk about just having these moments where we're trying to deliberately create experiences, or in my case, because I'm teaching in this in, in a collegiate environment where I'm creating experiential assignments, where the assignment is embodying experiential education in all these different ways. And it wasn't a student that was out, and I just share because I come to it rock climbing and having this, I almost fell off the cliff. And then I had this really, it was a reminder for me, Sherry, of going back to your question, that experiential education, and what Antonio pointed out, this happens in so many places and ways. And that's what we do is we create these moments. And so it was an aha moment for me of just how I can continue to help by that's what I bring to the space is creating these assignments for students to have experiences. Antonio, do you have a story you'd like to share? Mm. I think my story that I have more is connected to the organization that I mentioned earlier, which is called Wikinomics. And it's also connected to AE because when I was part of a part of the board and I was also uh, engaged with the Mid-South region and also with the EBTD group and th- different roles, I was always trying to find ways how to engage more people from Latin America with, because I knew so many people doing experiential ed in Latin America, but they just didn't, they didn't have this home or they didn't have any place to go for resources or meeting other people like, like the AE community where you could exchange experiences and so on. So we were trying to do that. And uh, of course, language was a big barrier. So in the end, we decided to start a series of conferences in Latin America. That's what evolved into the uh, organization we now call Wikinomics, but there were several aha moments there because we invited a lot of the facilitators or people who we already knew were facilitating or leading or developing experiential programs. And the concept of Wikinomics was come to the conference. We're not going to make a profit out of this. We're just going to spread evenly the the cost of getting together, having equipment if you need to present or renting a space or whatever. But Basically, the fee will be that you come and share your three best either activities or theories or your three best secrets of (laughs) what you do. And also, you come, you share them, and you allow the people who are there to use that freely. So that was the principle of it. So we had a lot of people in the beginning that came there full of skepticism. They were like, really? Are you sure? 
you want it took me years to develop this and now you want me to share it here freely so a lot of people showed up and i think they were just trying to see what the others were going to share but as people started sharing and sharing and they started getting feedback from others and then creating networks to how can we improve this how can i apply this in other settings how can you know i benefit some other and people even creating connections and doing projects together people suddenly realized that collaborating and and doing things together was much more beneficial than doing things apart or competing against each other and now that the beauty of this organization is that you even have organizations in the same area in the same city who are in a commercial way competitors but they are collaborating and sharing their best theories their best secrets their best everything through this organization and that that has brought enormous awareness of the power of experiential education to many people and this has of course also benefited the people they're engaging with because it's becoming more professional people are supporting what they're doing in better ways having better theories having better structures in their programs or doing better programming So that was a big aha moment not only for me but I think also for the people. And so this organization was also very experiential. Yeah, and the way it was designed and and I think that's the beauty of experiential education that it can really transforms even in ways that you don't imagine it could. And and so do you want to tell the podcast listeners about the book that uh, Wikonomics did? Oh, yeah, that's another interesting story. So, yeah, so several of the people that have participated in, in Wikinamics, several years ago, we just got together and we decided it would be a good idea to put together all of our years of experience in experiential education in different settings because we, there are people who work with venture therapy, corporate world, schools, and so on, social social work. We decided it would be interesting to get together, put that knowledge together, and and produce a book. We produced a book. It came out this year in Spanish. It's called uh, Fundamentos de Educación y Aprendizaje Experiencial, which in English is like Principles of Experiential Education and Learning. Yeah, it's it came out in February of this year, and it's I, I'm I'm really proud of it because it's it's a big compendium of experience supported by a collaborative effort of in- enriching these experiences through theories and experiences also of people from other places. And so it produced something which I think is very valuable, both for people who want to enter the field of experiential learning, doesn't matter what field or what area of expertise, but also for seasoned practitioners who want to expand their horizons and find better ways to design a program to focus on safety what are the the skills that I need to have to be a seasoned facilitator? What do I need to pay attention to? And and also, it talks a lot about in, in first person, because these are real stories. These are real experiences of the people who, who wrote the chapters that show that you can be successful. Uh, as uh, You can have a business out of experiential education. You can transform realities of many people through experiential learning, or you can transform yourself. So if you have a chance or, or the Spanish-speaking group of, of listeners from this podcast, if you have a chance, look for it in Amazon. It's in Amazon. You can order it there. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback also about the book. And we are actually thinking of how can we expand the book for subsequent edition. And also for the record, is none of the authors are charging anything. So there are no no profits being made. All the all of the proceedings from selling the book is going to a fund which is 
used to helping people who do not have enough resources to go to a Wikinomics conference to attend. That's amazing, Antonio. I have one more question that we'll wrap up with. If you had a, a magic wand, what would you like to see as the result of your work with experiential education? I have two. <laughs> you could have two. And different purposes. Okay, so the first one is that our work is received, perceived, and wanted across the world. And we're able to deliver it to meet the needs of all people, whatever they might need. And and just for the betterment of society. I think we've all had moments where we know we've transformed ourselves, we've transformed other people, we've been able to transform this reality as we've mentioned today. And I think that I would wish that for all people is that they have the opportunity to feel a moment like that and to feel connected to others in a way that you know that you are part of something so magnificent. So I'd want that. And then my second wish, and then I'll give it to Antonio, is just that the work that we do is valued in society and compensated in a way that I feel is fair, equitable, and just, just in terms of economics. Thanks, Steph. Antonio, what's your magic wand? Oh, I, I would say that I would love that our work could help others understand that the secret is going back to our human essence. Mm -hmm. That the answer is there. If this could help us have less polar polarization or be or 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 engage in more and more constructive dialogue. Yes, I love technology, as I mentioned, but technology is not the answer. It's not being more technological all the time. Technology must help us to be better humans. Yes. At our service. And also to help people be more connected, have these strong bonds to each other and go back to our collective nature. That, that will be my biggest wish. Yeah. So every time I go into a program or I talk about uh, how experiential ed can help this organization solve some of the issues they really want to solve. I always try to start talking about this, instill this, so that people understand that it's not about the theory that we're going to talk about. It's not about a, a recipe that you need to follow. It's about slowly going back to this connectedness. And, yeah, I know it's a long way to go, but if yeah, I could turn back and see that start happening, that would be awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with both of you. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out with us. We invite you to find out more about our experiential education community and the opportunities for volunteering, connecting, and learning at the Association for Experiential Education website, aee.org. Thanks so much, Steph. Thanks, Antonio. Thank you. Sherry, thank you, Steph. Oh, it's been awesome. <laughs>